So it's seven o'clock. Live back in the studio in Pahrump, Nevada. Uh, this is Tech Talk Taco Tuesday, where Dirt Bike Test, uh, Jimmy Lewis answers your motorcycle and motorcycle related product questions. Because I know you all have questions and people ask them all the time. And I answer kind of the same things over and over a lot of the time. But this way you can get your question answered. And then when I look at you funny, when you walk up to me on, on the street and say, hey, Jimmy. Uh, and I said, oh, I answered that last week. You're going to have to watch the video. So, or listen to the podcast or whatever it is. So that's uh, that's how we roll here. Um, all my advice is free. It's worth at least that, um, if not a little bit more. I've been doing this for quite a bit of time. And um Kind of unbiased opinions, I would say. Actually, I have biases, but um, it's all backed in uh, experiential learning through years of dirt bike testing. So I'm going to get right to it. Um, let me get a beer, huh, David? Well, your kid actually is at the press intro right now, I believe. Ryan is at the uh, Kawasaki KX250 press intro. If you're watching on Facebook, you can also look at our Facebook page and they're going to be putting stuff up on Instagram. Uh, they're going to ride the new KX250, which according to Kawasaki should have uh, more and better power. And we will be able to tell you that probably uh, tomorrow when they ride it because tonight they're just going to say, thing th say things three times and then they're going to have really good, they're, they're, they're well-respected test riders stand in front of all the journalists and say the things they want them to three times and then uh, they're going to try to feed them good food and ryan will have some beers and uh he probably doesn't drink right <laughs> and then uh then they'll tell you about the bike after they ride it tomorrow so um trevor and ryan are out there scott hoffman today went out to the alpine stars 2020 uh gear collection intro i haven't even seen pictures of what the gear looks like i saw a picture of some tents and awnings and stuff but that was it because it looked like scott probably got on a bike and went riding and forgot how to post on the social media so i uh have no idea what's going on because for the last week i've been riding an adventure bike a ktm 1090 from basically the canadian border back down to here wandering towing a trailer yes on my motorcycle so if you want to see pictures of that and some other stupid stuff, um, you can look at the, uh, I think we shared it on dirt bike tests, but you can look at my, uh, Facebook posts and a few other things and you'll learn a lot about, um, my training program and, uh, how I become the icon of physical fitness that I pride myself on being. So, uh, with that, we are going to get right into the, uh, right into the questions. I see Mark's out there. Cheers, Mark from McCall. Go a little bit north. Actually, I don't know. Out of McCall, I don't really... Yeah, there's probably no riding there at all. Uh, you should probably come back and go to Jawbone Canyon because that's where the good riding is. That's right. Um, they don't have any snow. There's no snow blocking your trails in Jawbone Canyon. Uh, okay, so Eric Hall, who does XL ADV. Um, Eric is... Uh, he's... Uh, um, Big, big into the big, big adventure bikes. He doesn't like the small adventure bikes. He's not like me. He discriminates. He um, had a question mostly about bar risers. He and and I'm not really sure. Uh, he probably knows that I'm. I, I talk like I'm anti bar riser, but I'm not. I mean, they're great. 
if you know how to set up your bike with them properly. But what we see, and I jokingly call it high bar Kool-Aid, that seems like for the past six years, every adventure rider on the planet has been drinking. They just want to get the biggest, tallest bar risers known to man so that they can, quote, stand up. Because the you know they feel like they're bending over when they are uh, standing up. They can't reach their handlebars. Well, uh, the, the real... Uh, problem is is body position and not understanding how to position your body on the bike but we'll just go straight into the to the bar risers and he was asking me just kind of my take on him but he, he actually brought up something that was really interesting and, and i'm going to read kind of what he wrote he said i set about measuring my vertical height on my bike by measuring my peg height from the ground and subtracting it from my bar height at the bar ends with the bar straight from the ground so basically he's he's measuring his rider comp cockpit but just kind of the vertical height straight up and down is what it sounds like so so let's say your pegs are about 13 inches above the ground which is kind of typical and your bars are somewhere up in the 30 something or other and then you you subtract that and you come up with your your quote bar height um he said so he said i found interesting enough that it was precisely half of my total height so what i tell riders now is see if your vertical height is half of your total height and if not then you know how much you need to raise your bars so kind of a kind of a good idea an interesting way to put it but um my my take on it is it's kind of it's kind of twofold number one everybody's built differently there's some people with like long torsos and short legs and there's people with long legs and short torsos some people have long arms short arms there's all different kinds of stuff so that's why they make lots of different bar risers because we do need some adjustments and adjustability. Um, so is there, a, is there a formula or anything to find out um, what the right bar height is? No. Um, and don't do it stationary. Do not stand up, you know, put your bike on the center stand or put it on a stand and then stand up there and try to reach for the handlebars. Cause I guarantee you at that point, it's going to be too short because we don't write ride standing straight up and down for the most part when you're riding you're either having wind wind pushing on you or a lot of the time you're accelerating which means you're leaning forward and so you think about as you lean forward the bars come closer to you and we find in in my school specifically uh that people have done this setting up for their bar height by standing up and reaching for the foot pegs and it puts you in a very upright straight position and generally uh when you start riding, the the <laughs> what we see is guys try to they want to stand up, and so they, they actually start putting their pelvis forward, and it looks it's called I call it the um, standard incorrect uh, adventure rider position where they're standing. Oh yeah, they're standing up, but their pelvis is forward because when they accelerate, they fall backwards on the motorcycle and then their arms actually get straight and you know, they don't bend at the hips like they're supposed to. That's a whole different, that's riding technique, whole different thing. And, and they wonder why they get tired and they're always grabbing onto their bars and their bikes become unstable and their arms hurt. And, and, and then when they sit down, their arms are up here as opposed to down where they're supposed to be in a neutral or, you know, in a kind of a better position. So, um, I don't, think that there's a quote like a, a formula for it but if you're uh, you know i'd have to actually go out and do that measurement myself to see because i'm perfect and if it worked for me then that would be the right formula but um i don't have to put bar risers on most of the bikes that i ride uh because they're built for me the, they build you know the the manufacturers they build all the bikes for me so 
Um, cause I'm perfect, uh, sized that is. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Uh, but when you're doing, when you're doing the, when you're riding, you, you know, you should feel, you don't want to use the handlebars as a push-up or a pull-up bar because you want to reserve that for when you need to twist, jerk, pull, do whatever you have to do on the motorcycle. And then, but if you're already doing that, you're, you're already out of balance and you're putting weight up high on the motorcycle. And so you, when you're riding, you should feel like you should kind of not be able to, you should be let, almost let go of the handlebars. Don't do it, but you know, so you're loosening the handlebars. And if you f- find that you can keep your hands where your handlebars tend to be and not have to hang on to them, they're probably in a good spot. That's where they need to be. If you're having to reach for them in any weird way or bend your body in a non-balanced position, then the bars are in the wrong spot. If you have to hang on to your handlebars, your handlebars are in the wrong spot or your body's not in the right position because you want your weight on the foot pegs. And that's why foot pegs are almost as important as handlebars. So you can you can also raise and lower foot pegs to a certain extent. You can There's all different kinds of foot pegs. There's ones that are rounded. I don't like those. There's ones that are flat. I like those. I like to get foot pegs as wide as possible because that's where I'm going to put all my weight and my leverage so I don't have to do it in the handlebar. Um, so you want, and you want it to be comfortable. So that way, you know, when you're controlling your throttle, when you're articulating your clutch and, you know, really using the brake that your, your levers can be in the right position. And then you can bolt on things like clakes and recluse rear brake uh, things. And then you can put 16 different mounts for, um, different different uh, devices on the handlebars that's what's important and some of those bark risers even have extra additional mounts on them so you can mount even more stuff usually a couple of video cameras to video yourself and everybody that's going by so yeah <laughs> be careful be careful what you wish for um so yeah eric i i think that's i think it's interesting um i like i said i actually have to have measure it myself but i maybe that's a good ballpark but at, at the same time uh, go go ride get balanced and find out if your bars are in the right spot do it practical um i know it's for a lot of people it's hard to find balance but that's why i run a riding school uh you can search it at jimmylewisoffroad.com thank you for sponsoring my show good job okay next question uh christian renninger i believe has a 790r question he says, and I didn't read this question, I just printed it out. I've got a 990 SMT and a 690R, and I'm thinking to combine these two into a 790R, as I now also got an FE350. Okay, the 990 in SMT means Supermoto, or Super, what is it, Super Duke? Is that a Super Duke, or is it Supermoto? I don't know. Anyways, is used for 35-mile one-way commute and the weekend sprinted road trips. Yeah, road. Um, 690 is for dual sport trips in Death Valley, Baja, and the West in general. So I'm wondering if I miss the 990 power on the road, 114, and use all of it on the lightweight bike of the 690 uh, dual sport with giant lubricating gear, but I'm attracted to combining these two and likely get a second wheel set for proper tires for dirt and keep one set for street. So I I don't think you're going to miss any power going from 790 to 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 990 in reality. I mean, you think about it, how much are you really riding with that throttle cracked wide open? I always get on this trip, don't I? 
if if you need more and I, I yeah there's those times you're going to you know whip the throttle on and gas it and rev it out and stuff but in my experience on the 790 when I turned the throttle and I got it up in the R's when it was running up to 10,000 rpm and it was pulling hard it was pulling plenty fast it was enough to put my you know stomach up in my throat so uh and I've ridden I've ridden I've ridden 1290s and I I don't I mean they they accelerate maybe you know, they, they definitely do pull harder and stuff, but like, how much do you really, you know, how much do you really need? How much are you going to be doing that? Because you're talking about you all of a sudden you go into getting practicality. Like, and I like the idea of a second set of wheels. Actually, maybe if you put street tires on, it would feel slow. Cause I think it spins like the 790 I rode would basically with a traction control turn off would light the knobby up pretty easily on the street or, or the, the, the Metzler Carew three. So, um, you know, in reality, when you're going to go camping and doing all that kind of stuff, you're not going to be using that kind of power. I think the 790 makes excellent power for that kind of stuff. You can load it up. I just rode my 1090, which is less horsepower than the other ones. So I rode my 1090 with a, I was towing a trailer and the trailer by itself weighs almost 90 pounds. And then I had it full. I mean, I was stretching the top to put it back on top because I was bringing a bunch of stuff back with me from Washington. And we'll talk about that in a minute, <laughs> but there were very few times I was missing the power. Like even on uphill inclines, when I was passing semi trucks and stuff like that, it had, it had plenty. And I think that's the same amount of power. You know, would I tow a trailer with the 790? You probably feel it a little bit more than the 1090, but it still went fast enough. Um, probably just use more bigger throttle position. I'm still getting 40 miles of the gallon. So, um, I, and and you and he and he does mention that he does have the the FE three fifty, so he has that for technical riding. He's got that covered. So you're not you you want to use it like a true adventure bike. I would commute all day long on a seven ninety, and and I would actually take it out on twisty roads with a good set of tires, and I would be completely happy. But then I'm used to a dirt bike, uh, you know, sitting position. I don't need to kind of get crunched down. So I I think that bike is good good for that. Um, but maybe sell the 690. Just get rid of the 690 because that's the the. One of my I, I need to do my top five bikes that I don't like list, and I think that one would make it. Um, not that it's it's not a it's it's a good bike for some stuff, but the 790 does everything better in my world. So, um, and then if you if you're missing your if you're missing the power, then you always have your 990, and then you could sell that and maybe I don't know <laughs> why. You're not allowed to have that. How many bikes are you allowed to have? 40? Um, okay. Eric asks, um, oh, he wants to, so he has a, I believe it was a KTM 350 he was talking about. And he said um, he wants to load it up sometimes to do some uh, kind of like dual sporting with, with gear on it. And uh, he wanted to know if adjusting the spring spring preload changes the spring rate. And no, it doesn't. I, even on the even on the progressive spring, well, would it would it change the spring? I mean, because you because you're compressing it, so you're putting it into a harder part of the. It it it, it adjusts where the rate kind of kicks in. So a little bit it does, but it it it's it's basically for adjusting the balance of the bike. And KTM in the manual is really good about explaining like when you're exceeding, you know, when you've compressed the spring too much to make it so it isn't it's too light of a spring for you and stuff. But if you have the right spring, if you're putting 10 or 15 pounds, you know, that'd be a lot on the back of the bike. 
uh, for whatever reason, you should be able to get that range within, if you were on the proper spring already, just make sure when you, you know, have your spring on there that you're on the, you're on the looser side. So less spring preload, and then you can kind of crank it on my KTM 500 that I often do this. I put my tools and some tubes on the side of the bike, which adds probably seven or eight pounds. Um, I have one of those, uh, it is the, the company that makes that is technical touch. Now it's not technical touch is the KL, but that's where I got it from. It's the, it's, uh, the, they work through Henson. It's, um, I think there's a test on dirt bike test. Yeah. That's what you got to do. Search dirt bike test for spring preload adjuster. And it's one that it's a, it's a eight millimeter head and you just spin it with a T handle or even better with an impact driver. And it'll ramp the preload kind of like the adjustable spring preloads do on the adventure bike. And it makes it easy. You don't have to pull out the punch and the, and the, the, you know, pry bar or whatever you're going to use to do it normally. But this does it pretty quickly, um, for changing it. So I do use one of those, man, I can't remember the name of that thing. Uh, X trig, X trig. That's right. So the X trig, um, preload adjuster, pretty, pretty cool thing works on the KTMs. Uh, that should help you. So thanks, Eric. Um, Chance says, when are you going to get back to doing classes? Well, I don't like to talk about my school on this podcast. That's a whole separate thing. But um, in the fall, like usually late October, uh, we start classes back up. Uh, he wants to come and do my racing class, which is exactly the same as my dual sport class, which is exactly the same as my adventure bike class. And it's the advanced class. I only teach an advanced, a very, very advanced class that's the same one I teach to novice riders. So if you just got confused in what I said there, we have one class, it's the basics. And if you make one of my drills look easy in my class, I will make it harder for you. And I still practice the same things when I go out and practice and it makes me a better rider every time. So, um, chance, hope to see you in the fall. Uh, let's see, go back to the board and see if we've got any questions or comments here. Um, of course you don't have Sam Felipe Bob tonight to, uh, do sidebar question answering. Cause he said he's spending time with his family, which means he got in trouble for watching me on the internet. Uh, good, good job. Staff took away. He's going to lose his top fan ranking. Um, how do you guys get those by the way? Somebody has to tell me how you get to, to be a top fan. Um, let's see. I need to use my big boy voice in the mic. Thanks, Chris. Um, I noticed it was a little bit lower on my on my thing, but you're just going to have to turn the volume up. I'll crank it in post-production, so when you watch it for the sixth or seventh time in YouTube, um, it'll be good. Chris would know how to get the... Uh, how to get the, uh, the... the What is it? The special fan award or whatever you got? Um is the new KX two fifty E start? No, it is not. Um, I think that I think what Kawasaki is doing is testing the new top end on top of the old bottom end, and next year you'll get a new bottom end that's probably a lighter, smaller uh, E start only. Um, I would suspect E start only, but uh, an E start only uh, bike and kind of a you know a heavily revised chassis. That would be my guess, or they'll go two more years and then do it do it again. Um, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Hey, Billy. Yeah. How's Tulsa? If I lived in Tulsa, I don't know if I would ride dirt bikes because you guys have a lot of slate rocks. I still remember riding at that John Zink ranch and, uh, 
That place was gnarly. You got to have good suspension there and moose. Um, Bob says hi. Uh, let's see. Tim Gomi join. Hey Tim, how's how's those map books you guys gonna that, that, that Nar built for us out there? I don't know if I'm gonna go run them or I'm too busy. But uh, how do you back up a trailer on an adventure bike, Chris Real? That's such a good question. Let's talk about trailering and adventure biking. So, <laughs> um, uh, what am I doing towing a trailer around an adventure bike? That's a good question. And I'll talk about backing it up because I, I did. Um, it's tricky. So uh, the 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 trailer that I have is called a trail tail, and these it's a guys are out of Canada, and they build a very indestructible um, trailer. There's some lighter weight ones and stuff that guys have built. I've seen some ones that guys have built with two wheels, but this is a single wheel. It connects to the motorcycle um, with a shaft going through the axle. So, and then it has its own swing arm that's solid mounted to the chassis. And then it has its own swing arm. You can look at the pictures on, I posted up on the, on the site. It has its own swing arm and a shock. Uh, and it's built out of heavy, pretty heavy stuff um, because they don't want it to break and they want you to be able to carry a little bit of a load. And I had an earlier version that I had for uh, a couple years now. It was funny because on my Facebook um popped up like when you know who knows how much they're watching you but it popped up hey picture from two years ago and there was a picture of my 1190 with a trailer on the back of it and uh so i did some testing with it um made some suggestions just on um some of the stuff with the swing arm the swing arm length uh to change the way it felt uh do some stuff with the the turning turning radius they made some modifications to get better turning radius and then they took some of the edges off the bottom corners of the trailer because i did hook it on some rocks uh, and let me tell you, when you hook a solid mounted, if you think hitting your, your chain guide or your, your disc protector or something, or a foot peg on a rock, you should hit a trailer on a rock. Cause usually you're around that, whatever obstacle it is, and you're going again and you're kind of committed and it, <laughs> it'll wake you up. So they got a little bit more clearance out of the bottom of that thing. And I didn't do too much crazy stuff with it, but, um, I didn't hit it on anything yet, but back to turning it around. So I was... I was out um, kind of exploring some roads. And so a KTM 1090 already has the turning radius of a semi-truck. And then you put a trailer on the back of it and and that limits the turning radius a little bit more. And it gets bad. Um, on a two-lane highway, on a normal two-lane highway, uh, you will use every bit of both lanes to do a U-turn if you throw it in, you know, as hard as you can and turn and go. So when you're on single, you know, single lane dirt roads out in the sticks that are covered with bushes or have a cliff on the edge of it. Um, yeah, you'd better be able to turn around, you know, have find an opening to turn it around. Well, I went up this one road and it kept getting worse. And I kept saying, ah, you know, I, I was under the impression the road was going to go through and then it dead, it up, dead ended at a little mine shack, little mining house that was kind of washed off. Uh, on the side of the hill and there was it was literally a, a single dirt road right up to that thing and nothing on the back side and so i parked the bike and i got off and i started walking around looking for a spot to be able to uh what to do so i moved some bushes out of the way and i i kind of hugged the edge of the road and i rode up the embankment and parked the bike on the embankment and then i you know, managed to put a rock underneath the kickstand and get everything balanced because since it's at the swing arm it actually 
it has a, a little bit of leverage on you, you know, the weight. But then, so then I picked up the trailer because it wasn't that heavy. I was able to pick it up and drag it over and put it on the other side. So I got the turn, you know, I come in pretty hard from one side. Well, I picked it up and got the turning all the way to the other side. And then I slowly backed the bike back down the hill. And then I turned the handlebars and got the front of the front wheel on the bike to slide back down the hill. And uh, yeah, I got it turned around. So that's how you turn it around. But it's when you're riding this thing, it's just like towing a trailer um, in a car or, you know, a heavy trailer in a car. You know how when you, you, you know, you, they, they get some oscillations and stuff. And with the motorcycle, since it has a pivot on the handlebars, um, it'll, it'll shake the bike because the trailer has the hinge, you know, for the turning. And if you get, let those oscillations get going, they will get going. But it's funny, if you let go of the handlebars, it straightens right back out. So you just have to ride in balance and loose, which is what I try to do, try to pride myself on that. Um, but it, since it's all, you're all on a single axle, if you start to lean one side or the other, there's still weight in there. And it's, it's lower than if you had packed stuff like that up high in the motorcycle. And boy, I saw some people when, you know, that when, when I was out on near one of the Oregon um, backcountry discovery routes that I, I don't know. I don't know how they were riding the motorcycles. They were like, they were literally in a cocoon of luggage. You know, they had tank bags that went up to their chin and they had, they had bags on the back and, and things that looked like armrests on, you know, Africa twins and, and on some BMW GSs. I mean, they, they had tons of stuff and I would much rather have my stuff low and down behind in the trailer, which I did. Um, it allows me to move around a ton on the seat, which is when you're doing long days is good for comfort. Um, so, uh, but you, you have to, you have to really respect what you're doing with that weight and, and realize that it can. So, but since it doesn't have two wheels on the ground, you know, side to side, it wants to, you know, it wants to wobble a little bit. It can wobble a little bit. And then when you're, when, when you are turning and it starts leaning, you, you don't really feel the weight cause it's not up high, but it's down low, but it's still there. So when you go to pick the bike back up and you, you feel it, you know, towing that bike back in line, it really wants to, it feels like it just wants to stretch the bike out to a certain extent. So, um, but what would I use it for? Well, hauling a lot of stuff on my motorcycle, number one, which is kind of what I did. I brought a some a lot of gear down and, and picked up some stuff along the way. Thanks, Marco. Snowboard boots. Uh, so, um, but the, the the where I really think that thing would fit is let's say you want to go to like a, a, a you want to go camping and then go riding from your camp, but you want to take all your camping stuff and you want to have a lot of camping stuff, you know, good tent and stuff, which I usually do if I'm going to go camping off my motorcycle this would be a great way to take it there and you take it there and you drop the trailer and then you've got your light bike to go riding around on. And I've towed this thing, not the, not the one I currently have, but the one that I had previous with my 500 and it was, it was fine. I was surprised at where I could go. And so I wanted to really use it for doing trail maintenance, taking in a lot of tools for trail maintenance. Cause sometimes we get pretty far back and it's hard to carry that stuff on your back. Um, uh, you could bring supplies in a lot easier, uh, stuff like that. But, you know, going to events or rallies, it'd be a great way to, to take stuff. And, uh, you know, especially maybe if you're going in with a few people, you know, this thing could carry a lot of the heavy stuff, you know, maybe the food and the, and, uh, water and things like that. So, um, I don't think it's for everybody, but, uh, that's why they make stuff like this. Cause some of us are weird and want to do other stuff. So, 
Yeah, Chris, that's how I back it up, and that's how I ride it. Um, it's it's interesting. It, it does teach you about your balance, though, for sure. Um, John asks, I have the opportunity to get a 5.3-gallon tank for EXC 500 in black for half price. Should I go for it and pray, pay full price for the natural color so I can actually see the gas in the tank? Uh, I Wow, half price. You're talking to a poor person here. I... I mean, uh, so I can't see the, this is interesting because I saw so my 1090. I can't see the, uh, the gas, I can't see the gas in the tank. It's black. And, uh, my awesome KTM fuel gauge does not work at all. Hardly ever. I have to take it out and sand it. I was told maybe I could do that. There was a recall on it and this is the second or so one that I've gotten in there. So this is a known issue with that bike. So my fuel tank is always full according to my fuel gauge. So I have to do a lot of math while I'm riding, which is good on boring stretches of road because I can start calculating mileage. Oh, I'm getting 40.2 miles of the gallon and blah, 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 and then figure out how far I can actually go. But I know that I can go between 240 and 280 miles on the tank because I think the tank is 6.3 gallons or whatever, but then I have a gallon and a half in the back and I'm always really conservative. So whatever math I just did, don't believe me, I'm, I'm an editor. I was an editor. Um, so... If you can kind of keep track of that stuff for half price, go with the black tank. Um, but, uh, you know, the bike can look cool that way, but that's a big tank. And uh, if you don't, if, if you're always filling it up a little bit more and all of a sudden it gets up to the nozzle, because um, I have a 5.3 on one of mine and I hardly ever fill it up. It's always at half and that's it, still more than most of my buddies that have their three gallon tanks have. So, um, uh, yeah, that's a personal question, my friend. Thanks, John. <laughs> um, let's see. Jesus, that sounds like Mel. Me. Oh, wait. Uh, I'm not Jesus. <laughs> uh, Chris Smith. Let's see. Replying to John. I couldn't uh, last long enough to run through five gallons of gas, so I'd be fine with the black tank. Yeah, let's see. So Chris, it seems like he's she, he's the new San Felipe Bob. Bob, we're not missing you. We got Chris in there. He's got a little trophy next to his name. Um, oh yeah, Chris, you need a miracle here. Thank you. Victor's here. Um, Victor, vol yeah, volume's a little low. Everybody's telling me that. Get on. Just turn it up on your uh, turn it up on your phone or whatever you're watching on. Um. Let's see. Are we really talking about which ADV bike has better power for towing a trailer? Yes, we did talk about that. Okay, here's one. Do you set the sag at the rear shock? What do you do at the front? Nothing. Um, oh, and David just got a top fan thing. Congratulations, David. I'm going to give you a thumbs up. Look at that. Um, uh, so... So you, you can adjust, so there's, on like a lot of the KTM EXCs and stuff, there's spring preload adjustment on those bikes. People never touch them, but you can adjust the spring preload on the front. You can slide the forks up or down in the fork tubes, uh, which helps, uh, helps or hurts or whatever. It, it's adjustable. So there's a lot of different ways to balance out the bike, and the the, the seems like on the trail, the quickest and easiest for us, if we're trying to get a bike to act a certain way, if we're pretty sure that the spring is close, um, we'll just slide the forks up three or five millimeters or down in, you know, down in the clamps. And that's the easy way to do it. The spring preload, additionally to changing the way the bike rides, it, it changes the way the bike feels. Um, 
in the front and the rear. So, you know, sometimes if, if it's just a little, I, I call it kind of like sloppy feeling or you, you don't feel the ground too much, you can add a little spring preload in the front and it'll give you a little more sensitivity to the ground. But it all depends. I mean, sometimes you can over preload the springs if they're, if you're already too heavy for it and it's compressed and you compress it more, it puts it in a stiffer part of the, part of the stroke and they just don't perform. So you can, um, yeah. So there's, and then, and then the old days we used to use PVC spacers to preload our springs. And so some of them are adjustable, some of them, and forks still have spacers inside of them. Um, that, that works. So, um, yeah, no, there's a lot of stuff you can do to the front end, David. Um, let's see. Oh, there we go. George is uh, in the background putting, uh, loading the tests. Good, good job, George. How come you don't have a little star? Oh, wait, you got a top fan too. I wonder, I wonder how you, you guys got to tell me how to do that. I want to be a top fan. Um, post a lot. That's what, that's what, uh, David says. Just post a lot. You elect top fans on my page. It's really random when Facebook asks me to choose them. I have one because I can't figure out how to do more. You only have, well, how do I go to your page, Chris? I'll be your top fan. <laughs> um, Okay, lots of rocks and heat right now. Yes, I agree. Well, not actually, I timed it perfect. I came down here and it was under 100 degrees, and I stayed up north to where it was like 85, uh, even on my last day coming down from, from Mammoth down to Pahrump. So um, that was good. Uh, <laughs> Marco. Marco sat me down and had a little discussion with me. He sat me into his massage chair, which he calls Felicia. And uh, I have a massage chair. I'm actually staring at it right now. And it's broken because it's old and used up. It, part of it works, but the air pressure doesn't work. And Felicia is a $10,000 massage chair and quite possibly worth almost every penny. Um, I need to get my hands on one of those things. I need to find 10 grand. So that's why you should support dirt bike test so I can buy a massage chair because the last thing I need is another motorcycle. Okay. Uh, how's the braking? Dan, um, he's asking about how's the braking with the trailer? Well, it's like, it's if everything's in line, it's just like you're adding the same amount of weight to the bike. In fact, it's better. It's definitely better than if that weight was up high. Uh, but I was, I was goofing around with it a little bit and, I made sure that I had my ABS on off-road ABS on just in case, because I, I did not want that weight to kind of surprise me. Um, and you know, when you're riding a lot of kind of, uh, gravel roads around mountain turns and stuff like that, uh, I, I was really cautious. Um, uh, it's, it's probably the same level of cautious. If you, if you've, if you haven't ridden an adventure bike and, and you just all of a sudden, get on something that weighs that much it's it's not really the bike it's just the weight it, it causes it's like oh I, I don't feel comfortable and that's the way i felt i felt like i was a whole new level of uncomfortable which means a whole new level of be careful is what i did um for the braking but it, it's the, the bike has good brakes i run galfer brakes by the way brakes and rotors um and for excellent control uh they uh seem to work well even under all the uh, stress but i was careful um but yeah it's just it's just like you're adding more weight to the bike um and i imagine if i was going around a turn and i got that rear wheel to skid and it was going one direction that trailer would push it uh 
push it out more out of line. So that's why on a dirt bike, you should do all your braking in a straight line. Um, okay. Uh, carry your comfort items and a cooler. Uh, yes. Um, I didn't have a cooler in there and I had, I had some things that needed to be in a cooler and they exploded. So my sleeping bag now has a new flavor. Yep. You guessed it. Uh, Rainier flavored sleeping bag. I washed it. Um, going to get the X-Trig. That is cool. Yeah. Awesome. See dirt bike test. Tell them dirt bike test sent you. Tell them they should advertise here. Um, John says, thanks. I must answer his question. Um, where are we getting down here? Uh, Jesse, another top fan. Who's adding all these top fans? I didn't add them. And you'd have to pay me to add, add the top fan list. Uh, let's see, get a clear tank. It's always nice to see the gas level. You might be using more gas quicker than you realize. Attributes does offer a military discount as well. If you happen to be in the military or veteran. Thanks, Jesse. It's always awesome when you guys add information to the forum. Uh, Marco, you are my biggest fan. In fact, Marco managed to get a hookup on a GoPro for me. So you're going to see some much better footage out of us in the very short future. Um, as soon as I learn how to use that one, I guess I can talk to it. It's a new seven. Um, I can just say GoPro film me and then I can watch myself, uh, do whatever I'm going to do. So, uh, yeah, I'll see, I'll see you back getting that top fan, um, placard thing, Marco, uh, super stoked on the, uh, hospitality and, uh, man, I was, I, I got to go snowboarding on an, on a snow cone. I snow snowboarded mammoth in July and it was like slushy snow cone. It was awesome. Um, shows your bike and wait a minute, where did I, where did I lose? Where did I lose that? Um, uh, where's that question shows your bikes and your bike tips live for more interactive show. Uh, Eduardo, you want to come and be my producer? Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is a, this is a one man operation, right? Currently, uh, we're operating at the capability of our budget and, uh, maxing that out. Uh, in fact, that just prompted me. It's time for a little tequila. Hmm. Yep, you're gonna hear me burp now. Once we get, um, let's see. There's a link on DBT um, to get the X tree. Uh, yeah, on on those, do you have to rebuild? <sighs> on some of the on some of the KTM's, um, have it installed when you're having your thing uh, when you're having your um, shock rebuilt because because it doesn't slide why is it doesn't slide up the reservoir or the reservoir has to be removed i can't remember what it was but i know i had to have mine put on when um i've done them on some shocks like i had one on a honda and you just took the spring off slid it up in there you know replaced the things and it went on so um come to clotter i'm in colorado i might be the producer of one of your shows if you don't mind uh pairing up with a socially awkward ass uh well, two peas in a pod, bro. <laughs> it's all, it's all good. Um, so I think that's it. Where I, I've, I've uh, maxed out on the questions. Uh, I don't know if I have any other stories to tell. Took the long. So there's people liking. They're looking at that trailer right now, liking my post, wondering what the heck I'm thinking about doing. But I've been on that bike for, 
for since when did I leave? The I hopped on it on the third of July. Uh, I went riding with some buddies up in the Pacific Northwest on both adventure bikes and even on the dual sport bike. Uh, I I had all my gear uh, with me, and then uh, they they trucked my bike out to where we were camping at and had a had a good time riding. I will not tell you. Um, I will not tell you where I'm riding. I never do. Uh, and it's funny. I actually got on a little. I commented on a good friend's post because he mentioned where he was riding in a place that um, still has really good trails. And it's not that the trails can't handle a little bit more. It's just that I know the guys that really do a lot of the trail work and building up there. And this other friend of mine has a lot of followers and people looking at it. And it's just like, man, some of these trail systems, even if you don't mention exactly where they are, it's so easy to find out. It's like, hey, I'm going to go there. And the area I rode in in Washington is one of these areas that was it was just a a gem uh, for a long time because it was it was kind of underused and they have good they had they, the users that were up there were putting in a lot of effort, a lot of volunteer work, doing a lot of good work, and and keeping the trails open. And then the I'll call them consumers found out about it. What is a consumer? A consumer is a guy that buys your products and supports the motorcycle industry and all that stuff. That's good. But a consumer is a guy who's never worked a day in his life on trail maintenance. Probably never sent a dollar to a land use group. Probably uh, is the same guy that roosts around water bars, the same guy that skids around switchbacks, the same guy that complains uh, when the trails are overgrown and then wonders how miraculously they get trimmed or brushed or maintained. That's a consumer, and there's way too many of them out there. I know it's none of you guys because you're all really good guys that are always working on trails and do, you know at least spending one day a year, you know, doting your time to work on it, and it'll change your life. It'll change the way you look at all the work that goes in there. But anyways, so the area I rode in is getting found by a lot of people because a lot of people are publishing photos and talking about it and sharing track logs and and the technology these days. I mean, it's so easy. It's so quick to be able to find a lot of this stuff and just it's just like a freeway you know when a freeway gets clogged up because they can't don't have enough lanes the trails are getting chewed up because you just can't handle um you know that much use and and when you know trails that used to be just pristine single track that didn't have hoopty doos are now just you know roots and 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 rocks and ruts and 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 hoops the worst thing hoops i don't mind the technical roots and rocks i mean sometimes i kind of like it when they get a little beat up because i enjoy that but that means that now maybe someone that isn't that high of a skill level can't ride that trail and if they do ride that trail it's going to beat the crap out of them and they're going to be um they're going to be beat up and tired so Anyways, uh, yeah, so don't, if you have the opportunity, you know, post pictures of you doing nice, fun stuff. Just don't talk about locations. And by all means, don't comment on someone's photo that they didn't put the location and say, hey, that's so-and-so. That's this place. Don't do that. Don't be that guy. Yeah, come out and work on trails for every time you posted and done that kind of stuff. So uh, that's my uh, that's my little rant. That's all I'm going to say about it. Uh Sorry, Rob, for being an asshat and poking at you like that. But uh, hey, he wouldn't. Uh, 
<laughs> yeah, I think I think when he thinks about it, he'll he'll think twice because, especially being a former Californian, now where he lives, he probably gets enough crap anyways. So, uh, yeah, um, I get crap for moving out to Nevada, but the reason I moved here is because I like what they're doing out here. I'm in the wild, wild west. This is this is awesome. So uh, let's see. How about a list of groups to donate to trail maintenance? Uh, Praz, let me tell you what you do. Um, this is this is my take on this. Join a national organization, something like Blue Ribbon Coalition, something you know, AMA. You know, they all do a little bit, and they're all helping. Um, but Blue Ribbon and and my world uh, nationally does stuff. Uh, check RideWithRespect.org. Check that out. That's a good one. That's that's national as well. Then join a state group. Find out where your state group is, whether it's something in California. They have Corva. Um, you know, in Idaho, they have a coalition. You know, all these different states usually have a state group. Get active in your state group and then find a local group or sort of start one, you know, with your group of riders and then go figure out what you guys can do to A, stay involved in the process when they're trying to close stuff or they're, you know, you know, get struck by lightning all of a sudden think about opening up a trail. And I've seen that happen, especially when there's an active group willing to help do that national national will keep you advised on what's other things going on. So when, when another area has an issue, you can at least respond to it or, you know, put a little clout behind it, maybe donate whatever you need to do national state and then local. That's the, that's probably the best way to do it. It's kind of political, but if you want to be able to keep riding, if you want the children to have a place to ride in the future, uh, you got to do that kind of stuff. So, uh, let's see. Um, let's see, Bob, uh, Bob Conner, the dust bunny. I threw it around in the last, it's still riding in the motorhome. He made an appearance on the last show. Um, let's see. Uh, what else do we have here? Jesse, is there any trail work here in Southern Nevada? Um, seems pretty indestructible. No, our trails are being, our single track stuff is getting trampled by UTVs and, and quads. Uh, and what can we do about it? There's not much. There's not much we can do about it because the train's open. It's, you, you, it, and unless they really went down and did enforcement, um, you know, it's, it's not, it's not going to happen. And it's, it's kind of a shame, but that happens everywhere. Um, I don't know what to do. Um, I think they should put a gate at the beginning, at the end of the trail and big signs that say, you know, single track and then have some heavy enforcement for a while. And maybe people will learn, but, um, that's, that's, uh, asking for a miracle. Um, thank you, Victor. Good post there. Uh, he posted the, uh, sharetrails.org, which is, uh, good, um, good group like i said also check out ride with respect that's a little bit more on the motorcycle side uh they're really uh, working on getting stuff going and george just posted that so um and then my wife is watching me on the internets i need to call her because i haven't had a chance to call her because i've been kind of off the grid for a while so hi heather <laughs> um okay I'm going to give you a few more. I'm going to ramble for a few more seconds. If you have, if you have some form of question, uh, I haven't really been testing a whole lot of, uh, new things that I can think of because I was just writing a bunch of old stuff. Um, I know I got it. I got an email from a today. Phoenix handlebars. That'd be our new product. Um, check them out at, I think it's Phoenix handlebars. I wish I would have wrote that down, but, um, he's just got some handlebars 
and he said he's reached out to see if I want to do something. Actually, I know what I need to do. I need to get um, my Phoenix handlebar. I need to get a Phoenix handlebar, and then I because I need a bar that I can cut down and put on the um, what's the throttle tube? The X the XTZ throttle tube, uh, which has a has a bearing in it. It's an aluminum throttle thing with a bearing, and I've used those before. I was actually it was a part on a factory bike uh, that they had made because they're really really good and precise, and I. Um, want to try that. So maybe I'll reach out to get that set up going. That would be our um, thing. Uh, Ryan, uh, oh, really? Ryan's back on the uh, Shurkos. Good. Um, might want to test one of those. They've been doing really well in competitions and stuff. And I know a lot of, well, it's generally Shurko owners that want you to test their bike to tell them how good it is. And then they get upset when you say it's not as good as a KTM. And I don't get paid to say either of those things. <laughs> so uh, it's because there's gas gases, which gas gas is going through a big restructuring right now. Um, I don't think this is bad on the outside as it seems to be made out to be. Um, but they seem to do that every four or five years in Spain. That's just the way they do business. Um, uh, TMs, there's TMs. I've been invited out to ride TMs before. Even Clay Stuckey was inviting me to come ride the Shurkos and I just like don't have the time or the the finances to kind of get my butt out there. Um, and you're talking to a small audience. Sometimes it's, it's, it's neat and unique, but, um, and I'm still waiting to get a beta 200 and I guess the new betas are going to, information is going to get dropped out, um, really, really soon. So beta information, I don't know what they say, like the 20th or something. They're probably trying to keep the, they sent out like a half hat picture of half the bike. They're trying to keep the stoke going. Um, Chris owns a Sherco, but the, 300 TPI was amazing. Uh, yeah, fuel injection is the future, bro. I mean, it's been the future for a long time, but I still think it's a little tricky on the two strokes. And I think KTM locked down some patent technology that makes it difficult for other manufacturers to do. But I still don't understand why. A, I, I really don't understand why a throttle body um, wouldn't work on a two stroke if it was doing it right. But somehow that's way more difficult than we think. And, uh, I think the KTM engineers tried to explain it to me, but I don't think they wanted to get too much in detail. Um, yeah, I see all those Garrett posts about the betas. He actually, he, he, I think anytime I say anything that says beta, I just get like 20 thumbs ups from him. So, um, okay. So I think I'm going to wrap it up. I got 50 minutes out of uh, four, four questions to start with. I think that's good enough. I want to thank everyone for joining. Uh, get your... Uh, um, questions in, oh, wait, Steve, just threw a question. As you do long distance rides often, do you run with a spot device or similar? Yes. I run a Delorum inReach because it allows, um, through the device only, it doesn't have to pair with my phone. It allows me to, uh, do two way texting so I can receive messages and send messages out. Um, yeah, by myself, uh, anytime I'm riding by myself, I tend to run one of those. So they know where to come and recover the body. And then this identifies the body. This is my road ID. So, um, okay. Uh, yeah, Steve, get those photos done so I can post your test, buddy. <laughs> right on. So for Dirt Bike Test, for Jimmy Lewis, for all of the sponsors that we kind of have a little bit of and that are going to come on board real shortly, uh, thank you. And we will see you out on the trail. Cheers.